The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. When the days for Jesus' being taken up were fulfilled, he resolutely determined to journey to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. On the way, they entered a Samaritan village to prepare for his reception there. But they would not welcome him, because the destination of his journey was Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they journeyed to another village. As they were proceeding on their journey, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus answered him, Foxes have dens, and birds of the sky have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And to another he said, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. But he answered him, Let the dead bury their dead. But you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to my family at home. To him Jesus said, No one who sets a hand to the plow and looks to what was left behind is fit for the kingdom of God. The Gospel of the Lord. With the change of color, it becomes really obvious that we are firmly back within that part of the year the church refers to as ordinary time. The season of Lent has passed. Holy Week has passed, the season of Easter has passed, Pentecost has passed, and the great feast days over the last several weeks now have all concluded. And we find ourselves in that time designated as ordinary. And this is a good moment to just pause with that word because that doesn't mean that this is the time the church says is not special. The word ordinary has a very particular meaning in the Catholic context. For example, Bishop Barres, precisely as the bishop of the Diocese of Rockville Center, is declared to be the ordinary of the diocese, which doesn't mean he's the regular guy of the diocese. <laughs> and this idea of ordinary doesn't have a note of special or not special about it. It has a note of being put into good order. To say that this is ordinary time is to say that this is time that has a very particular order to it. Just as the bishop is that one who puts in order 
the life of the church in his diocese. And the order is the order of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, that might sound strange when we first hear it and think, well, isn't every time of the year supposed to be put in order by the gospel of Jesus Christ? And yes, that's true, but in different ways. During the part of the year we refer to as ordinary time, its distinctive hallmark is that we read through one of the Gospels in order. Beginning with the public ministry of Jesus after his baptism by St. John, and concluding right before he gives his life for us on the cross, the public witness of the Lord in his teaching, in his miracles, in his calling of his disciples, in his conflicts with the sin-fallen worlds that resists his message, we engage all of that in an orderly fashion so that Sunday after Sunday, week after week, one episode at a time, the story of the ministry, the life, and the mission of Jesus might unfold before us and then within us. Note how wonderful that is. We don't engage the entire gospel all at once. But over the course of a year, we engage the entirety of it. One episode at a time. One teaching at a time. One event at a time. And as the gospel unfolds week after week after week, our gathering is put into order by the way the life of Jesus unfolds in front of us. It's a beautiful mystery when we understand that because it then underscores what it means later in the Mass when we come forward and stretch out our hands to receive him in the great sacrament of the Eucharist. That the Lord whose life is unfolding in an orderly way before us, that the Lord whose gospel orders us to his life is the Lord who also feeds us and sustains us and nourishes us by his very life. And so the life that we hear and the life that orders our reflections every Sunday comes to us in its fullness likewise every Sunday that we who order our gathering to the rhythm of the gospel might go forth from this place to live well-ordered Christian lives ordered by the life of Christ himself. And so then we have the readings that are placed before us today. And as we move through ordinary time, there is an order to the readings as well. The first reading in ordinary time is always chosen because it has a relationship to the gospel. And so every single Sunday in ordinary time, the first reading is chosen because of how it speaks to and within the light of the gospel reading. Sometimes by a contrast, sometimes in terms of being a promise that is fulfilled sometimes by giving us an example whose perfection we will see later in Jesus, 
but there is always a relationship. And because of that then, the psalm that follows after it, the responsorial psalm, it doesn't have that name because there's a response that we sing. It's called the responsorial psalm because it responds to the first reading. The reading, which prepares us for the gospel, has a response, and it's the psalm that we chant, the psalm that we pray. And then there's the second reading on the Sundays in Ordinary Time, in today's case, from the letter of St. Paul to the Galatians. And next Sunday, we're going to hear from the letter of Galatians again. And the Sunday after that, we're going to hear from it again. The second readings in Ordinary Time are also ordered. We read from one of the letters from beginning to end in an orderly way. Note the way then that script, note how beautifully the church engages the sacred scriptures. We're not here at Mass then at the service of only listening to Father's favorite Bible passages. We allow the fullness of the gospel to speak. And within that speaking, we listen to the fullness of the speaking of one of the other books of the New Testament. And then we read from the Old Testament and the Psalms in a way that connects them to the gospel. So that on any given Sunday, our engagement with the gospel and the unfolding of the life of Christ that orders our living is an ordering that also brings us into contact with the fullness of the Bible, the fullness of all of the witness of Scripture. It is one of the great elements of the Mass that we speak about and reflect about far too little. Our readings today have a very important message for each and every one of us. Our Gospel reading confronts us with, in a sense, the Murphy's Law that Jesus runs into as he moves toward Jerusalem, that idea that if anything can go wrong, it's going to. And so the Lord, setting his, his eyes toward Jerusalem, committing himself to go to that place where he will lay down his life. This is a hinge point in the Gospel of Luke. His ministry now will relentlessly move toward the cross, where he will give his life for us. And as he's on the way, we hear he sends messengers out so that the towns he is going to pass through are aware of his coming and have a chance to meet him. And we find out that as soon as he enters Samaria, the villages there want nothing to do with him, despite his sending the messengers to prepare them. And they want nothing to do with him because they object to where he is going. Because he's going to Jerusalem, they do not want to receive him. And on the one hand, on the one hand, that is a historical detail of tensions between cultures and peoples that don't get along because of the hostility between the Samaritans and the residents of Jerusalem, the Lord moving to go to that city is offensive to them and they want nothing to do with him. But that 
detail is included in the scriptures not merely because it had happened historically, but because of what it continues to say to the world and to us today. All too many of us, all too many, have heard about Jesus, know something about Jesus, have received something of the message of the gospel, but we have those moments in our lives, in our homes, in our businesses, where the gospel speaks to us and we don't like where it's going. And so we close ourselves. We don't reject it directly, we simply don't receive it. We simply don't open the entrance to it because I might have to change. I might have to give that up. It's something that is deeply ingrained in human nature. We learn this when we're little and we know we've done something wrong. And so even if mom or dad doesn't know, we don't want to go near them because we might be caught. We know this when we're aware of the fact that we're behaving wrongly. And so we avoid certain settings. We avoid certain people because we don't want to change. We don't want to give that up. We don't like where Jesus is going. It is one of the classic hallmarks in the modern age that all too many who bear the name Christian think that we get to decide for ourselves what we believe and how we will serve the Lord. And we do that because we don't like where Jesus would take us if we let him lead. And so this note in the story that they don't like where he is going doesn't speak just about Samaritans who lived 2,000 years ago who didn't get along with the Jews. It speaks to the heart of man today and that tendency that lives all too readily within each of us. But note, the Lord doesn't stop moving to Jerusalem because somebody doesn't like it. Jesus is many things, but he's generally not really concerned about our preferences. And so he moves. He moves to Jerusalem because this must be done, and nothing will stop him from loving us even to the extent of giving his life, even our unwillingness to move with him. He's going to move. And as the Lord moves, he continues to call. He continues to encounter those along the way. And so we get the one who comes up and says, Lord, I'm not like those guys. I want to go with you wherever you'll take me. And the response of the Lord, again, is curious because he doesn't simply say, that's wonderful, come with me. He says, let's dial down the enthusiasm a bit and let's be clear about what's going to happen. Because when the Lord calls us to follow him, he wants us to make a real decision and a real commitment. And so he says, you're going to follow me wherever I go, but you've got to understand I've got no place that I call home on this earth. And so you're going to follow me into that homelessness. You're going to follow me into that lack of belonging to the world. That's where I'm going. 
because I'm going to bring you to a better home. But the way there is not always an easy way. And then another one comes and says, Lord, Lord, I'm ready to follow you, but just let me go home and... And again, what we have is one of those marvelous types of the Christian heart. St. Augustine beautifully said, a few of you guys have heard me say this numerous times, in a fit of enthusiasm, convert me, Lord, save me, Lord, change me, Lord, tomorrow. And we find ourselves doing this over and over again. I want to follow the Lord, but I've got something to do first. And when I take care of it, then I'll work on my faith. And what happens? We engage that thing, we take care of it, and I want to follow the Lord, but now I've got this other thing I've got to do. I've got so many things I need to attend to. It's not that I don't want to follow you, Jesus. It's just, I've got to take care of my stuff. And so the harsh answer, the harsh-sounding answer that the Lord gives is a wake-up call. Sooner or later, you have to be about following. Sooner or later, you have to move. Sooner or later, all of those other things can't continue to be more important than me. Sooner or later, all of those things can't be more important than your eternal salvation. Because that's the part we get wrong. In choosing these lesser things over the Lord, what we're really saying is, this is potentially more important than eternal life for me. This momentary happiness this momentary success, this momentary bit of business that I need to take care of. It's not that any of those things is bad, but it's often the case that good things get in the way of better things. That is in no small measure the fountain of sin. It's not that we choose to reach out to things that we know are bad. It's we reach out to something we think is good instead of giving ourselves over to something better. And so the Lord is saying, sooner or later, moving with me means moving. Moving with me and following me means moving and following and letting me lead because I know best where we have to go. And where we're going is toward life. And all of these other things, if you're not careful, good as they may be, will not only pull you away from following me, they will pull you away from life. For the bits and pieces of a life that passes here we often lay aside the fullness of truth that brings us to a life that doesn't end. When the Lord speaks this way, it's not to discourage us, it's to open our eyes. And note how wonderful it is. Because he who says all of these things is that one who left home for us. That one who steps out of the glory of heaven for us. 
that one who lays aside everything for us. And when you come forward to receive him in just a few minutes, you stretch out your hand to that small consecrated host, which contains his immense goodness in that tiny space. Once again, he's laying everything of himself in your hand for you. Note how the Lord never asks us to do anything he doesn't do first and do better and do with us. What a marvelous set of readings we have today. This day where the Lord says, please follow me. Let me put your life in proper order. And as we do so and move together, you and I, the Lord says, our steps will be firmly on the path that leads to life. And isn't that where, if we're honest, we all want to be and we all need to be. Amen.